Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving, a holistic lifestyle and wellness podcast that's here to help you become the healthiest, happiest, most aligned version of yourself. I'm your host, Ava, a registered dietitian in training and health and wellness junkie. I'm so excited to have you here as I dive deep into meaningful conversations covering topics from nutrition and mental health to spirituality and self-development and everything in between with experts in many fields. I'm so happy you're choosing to learn how to thrive today. Let's get into the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Thoughts on Thriving. I hope everyone is having a great week, a great month. Happy August. Um, I can't believe it's August. This is actually crazy. The year has gone by so quickly and I can't believe the podcast started in January and we're now in the eighth month of the year. That's actually crazy to me. So I just wanted to thank you all for your continued support of the podcast and Today we have on a lovely guest. Her name is Lily Geiger and she is the founder of the non-alcoholic aperitivo company Felia. So we definitely get into Felia, the brand, what it is, what inspired it, all of that in the episode, but we talk about so much more and I've been wanting to have this conversation about alcohol on the podcast for a really long time. I talk about this a little bit in the episode, but I stopped drinking in October of 2021. So it's been almost 10 months at this point that I haven't had a sip of alcohol. I decided that alcohol wasn't really serving me, not in the sense that I was making all these horrible decisions and it was causing harm in my life, but I just felt horrible after drinking and I don't really like the way I feel when I drink. And there's so many different reasons and I can do a whole episode on that. If you guys are interested and interested in hearing my my thoughts, my experience, and my goal was to do a year without alcohol and to just experiment with it and see how I feel. So maybe at the year, I'll do an episode on it. But in today's episode, Lily and I cover sort of the social implications of not drinking and why it shouldn't be a big deal for people to just choose not to drink. We also talk about her background, her upbringing, her unique education that she received, and she tells us the story and is so open and vulnerable about being the child of an alcoholic parent and what her relationship with alcohol is today and why she started Philia and how alcoholism in her family sort of inspired this whole movement and this whole company for her. We talk about so many other things. Like I said, we talk about our relationship with alcohol being in our 20s and not drinking or, you know, drinking less than other people. And Lily also shares her entrepreneurial journey with us, bootstrapping this business during a pandemic and what it was like to start Felia, how she did it and any challenges that she's faced along the way. So whether you're interested in living a more sober, curious life, you want to drink less or you're interested in the entrepreneurial journey, how someone who is in her mid-20s, has started this company that's already gained so much traction and has been in multiple publications like the New York Times, Vogue, and so many others. I think this episode has something for everyone in it, and there's so many little nuggets of wisdom, and we also chat about loss and, you know, grieving the loss of a parent, especially an alcoholic parent, and how that might be different from grieving another loss. Like I said, Lily is so vulnerable, open, and just really 
honest in this conversation and I really, really appreciated that. And I think you will too. And I think you guys will all really love this conversation. And before I let you all listen to it, I just wanted to ask you kindly to leave a five-star rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's what helps this show get into the ears of more people. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at thoughts.on.thriving and on TikTok at thoughtsonthriving. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Lily and let us know what you think on Instagram or in the reviews. And I will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Okay, welcome Lily to Thoughts on Thriving. I'm so excited to have you here and talk all about Philia, your amazing brand. So you're only a couple years older than me and you've already founded a company, a non-alcoholic aperitivo brand. And before we talk about the actual product and your journey with entrepreneurship, I just want to know a little bit more about you, your background, what you were doing before you founded it, and just a little intro to you. Yeah, well, I was born and raised in Manhattan. I actually went through like a really interesting like way of schooling. I went to a Waldorf school, so I feel like it really bred a lot of creative people. If anyone knows what that education is and like what it means, it's really special. Um, and went to college in North Carolina after that. And right after college, moved to LA, which is kind of where I jump started my career. I actually worked for beauty counters, my first job. I loved it. Um, it was really great. Met a lot of awesome people there and ended up leaving beauty counter to work with, um, two girls who started their own retail consulting agency. So we basically would have, um, like four, five clients going on at once and all relatively small brands and would basically do like from soup to nuts, any sort of like activation, any sort of like influencer relations, anything in store, retail events, like you name it, we did it. It was really great to kind of get my hands dirty and felt very trusted, which was great. Um, and kind of gave me the confidence to eventually do my own thing, moved back to New York during COVID and left that job and ended up starting Philia, which is a non-alcoholic aperitivo, which you introed so nicely. So yeah. I didn't know that you were working at Beauty Counter before. That probably set you up for success in starting your own company, right? When you, you know, work in a corporate setting. I wasn't a consultant because sometimes people think that when you say you worked at Beauty Counter, it's like you're like selling the products. Oh, what were you doing there? I worked in headquarters. So I was on like the brand marketing team. Got it. Well, that's even better because now you know marketing and you know all of the behind the scenes that goes into a brand probably. And that shows, I mean, you're idea for Philia is really cool but do you think that starting in those jobs that you had before helped set you up for success now with Philia yeah I I definitely think so I think that my first job definitely taught me so much I mean I was an assistant to um, the brand marketing team I also was an executive assistant to um, executives I was um an EA to the CMO and then the chief creator of create creator officer. Sorry, that's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> and it was great. I mean, I learned a lot of, of just like, you know, organization, just keeping on people and learning how to ask questions when you're uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's really like a pressing job. And I felt that I put myself to the test with those roles that, that I had there. And then once I left, it was really great because I was working with 
two young girls. So it felt like it was, you know, like this could be me one day. Like I, they really inspired me to do my own thing for sure. And were super kind and trusted me with a lot of work that I don't know if I would have had at another, you know, bigger team at a bigger company. So it was, yeah, it felt like a major accelerator for me. And, you know, like I said, gave me the confidence. So, you know, trusting yourself in, in something like this is pretty key because you, I mean, at least for me, I don't have a co-founder, like you really only have yourself, especially to like guide you through this and, and kind of fend for yourself and learn and teach yourself things constantly. So that was such an amazing piece of my, um, I guess like runway and just kind of preparing for what I'm doing now. Yeah. Especially in an industry that's so small at this moment, it's growing, but it's not like that easy to get into, I would imagine since the demand isn't as high as maybe the alcohol industry, you know? So that's awesome that you had that experience beforehand. Well, it it's, was really, um, I'm so grateful for it. It was really a special time in my life to learn all that kind of all at once. So I want to go back in time for a second and talk about your childhood. You mentioned you went to a Waldorf school and I'm fascinated by people who had like a Waldorf education. Yeah. So can you tell me, if, you know, anything about that education set you up to become an entrepreneur or just kind of what parts of the education you received, because it is sort of unique, set you up to be where you are today and what was unique about it? It's so funny that I also even felt like I needed to mention that, which is <laughs> so interesting. I've, I've never actually said any of this on a podcast. So it's I, this is really this is my first outing of being a Waldorf student, <laughs> uh, which I love. I mean, I'm honored. I'm honored that yeah. you're doing it on my podcast. It, I mean, yeah, definitely. I think prepared me for a lot. I mean, it really teaches you how to be a capable human. So you know, from a really young age, we would make our, like in kindergarten, we would make our own lunch. So we would start, we would get to school and we would start chopping vegetables. This is like, we're like five years old and they would chop. Oh my gosh. Food pop all of our vegetables up and we'd add it in. We would make our own bread. We would need our own bread um, and grind <laughs> all of the um, the like seeds and all of the um, like millet and stuff like that. Oh my so, God. yeah. And then, you know, then that goes into like, you know, older grades or higher grades where you're, you know, making, we would screen print, we would paint, we would, um, you know, you're in like woodshop from like a young age to um, knitting. Like, it's just crazy. I feel like you just feel like you can kind of do anything if you teach yourself and can pick it up. Wow. And so I, I still think that applies to me doing all the makeshift stuff that I do. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't have any full-time employees. Every retail activation or any in-person thing that we've done, I've just, you know, built myself or had someone help me build, but like, I don't hire a fabricator or anything. And that, that's not to say that there's any harm in that. I just don't really have the money for it. So it's, I think that taught me a lot and prepared me a lot for just kind of, you know, like if you can't buy it, make it, um, which is really great. And yeah, you learn a lot of just really interesting stuff here. Like every time you take a course, you actually um, draw and write like in, in fountain pen, in script, your oh my textbook God. for every course. <laughs> So you have, you come out of the school with like literally stacks of these textbooks called main lesson books. And yeah, it's just cool. And now I didn't appreciate it really in the moment when I had it, but now 
in hindsight, it's such a special thing that I was able to have that education. And I'm so, yeah, that sounds special. I want to put my kids in that school. Like, (laughs) yeah, no, it's expensive. I mean, private school is crazy, but I would love, you know, even if I could do it at home, like meaning like if I had to send my kid to public school, which would be totally fine too, like just kind of instilling that still in them because it's so, you just, it makes a special type of human. I'm telling you, like all my friends from there, it's just, it's different from anyone else I've ever met. It's really an awesome education. That's amazing. So also in your childhood, I know you dealt with an alcoholic parent, which is kind of, you know, why you started Philia. So could you talk a little bit about that? I want to talk about alcohol, obviously on this podcast um, (laughs) and your relationship with it, but especially just kind of watching your dad battle with alcoholism. Could you talk about how that inspired the start of Philia? Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's interesting when I talk about it. I mean, it's, I think at first it was hard for me to feel like I could because I, you know, would battle with the idea, okay, well, this was his experience and he was the addict. I'm not the addict. How can I speak on behalf of addicts? How can I dive into the subject? And I, I came to realize that this is completely my experience, right? Like just being the loved one of an alcoholic. And I think a lot of loved ones of alcoholics feel this way when it comes to addiction and expressing how they feel about it, talking about it, because it ultimately comes down to, can I essentially breach the trust and the reputation of this person that I love and that I'm watching go through this, yet I'm also going through this and I need to help myself and express myself and find help for myself. So I think that has been, you know, kind of a, you know, learning experience for me now later in life, but to touch on what you asked, yeah, growing up with an alcoholic parent was really hard emotionally for me. I think it definitely made me who I am now. I'm like a super cautious, um, drinker, super cautious person, super street smart in that regard. Just, um, I feel like I'm, I've been independent and um, have been forced to be pretty mature about a lot of things. Growing up, I had a um, single parent who was an alcoholic. Uh, My parents got divorced when I was five. So I think when you're alone and you have that responsibility of protecting someone and keeping their secrets of, you know, any type of relapsing or any, you know, hiding of alcohol, which happens a lot. It's, it's really like it, it really is hard on a human you know, especially a young person who's going through like those developmental stages of needing support and needing a parent. So to in turn have to parent your parent, I think was really hard for me. Yeah, totally. And I, I can only imagine how much harder that must've been with a single alcoholic parent versus, you know, if you had maybe your mom um, or whoever your second parent was with that person in the same household, at least for that support. So that definitely is something so hard to go through. So thank you for sharing about that. I mean, I really appreciate your vulnerability. And when I was reading about Belia on your website, it's just really cool how you're able to speak about it and speak to your experience about it without crossing any boundaries. I know you lost your father to alcoholism. And I just want to touch on this for a moment, if you're comfortable. Yeah, Yeah, we've never talked about loss on the podcast and grief. And 
it, I think it's so important. It's a part of life. And especially in this sort of situation, losing someone so young, like we're, we're in our twenties and it's definitely not something that's spoken about a lot in our age group and amongst at least me and my friends and the people that I surround myself with, it's never really been a conversation. So I just kind of want to bring it to light and talk about it and kind of release any stigma around talking about death, but also while respecting what has happened and, you know, just hearing your experience, what that was like going through that. Yeah, I, it's hard. It's it's really hard to put into words because if you've been, you know, the, the child of an alcoholic, it's almost like they're gone before they're actually gone. Right. Like you're, you're dealing with someone who's completely not themselves. Once it hits a point where, you know, they're, you actually could like fathom the thought of them dying. Like they're really that sick. I think, um, yeah, no, you really feel like they've checked out. They're not the parent they were. They're not the person they were. So not that that makes it any easier, but I think it in some way like hardens you to them and also to the situation. And I think it's really taxing on your loved ones when, you know, you're, when someone's drunk, like they're saying things they don't mean, they're not answering your calls or they're, you know, in a really dark place. Like it's really hard to have like a smooth and nice exit or goodbye with that person. And so that, that's also what makes it really hard to, to swallow when, when you are faced with, you know, death, um, at the end of that long and like twisted and screwed up road. Right. You're like, Oh my God, like, how did I, how could I have helped them? How could I have fixed or changed anything? And the truth is like, you really can't, I mean, you can, you can let your mind race in circles and think of all these different things that could have gotten done differently. But ultimately it's, it's really, you're just kind of doing the best you can. And I think a lot of different programs say different things, you know, try the tough love method or just show up for them or, you know, and, and you, you could try all of them, but like, it's not like one is going to be better than the other. It's, it's all just really hard. And I think that for me, when my dad passed, I was like so angry because I, you know, it felt preventable. And, you know, the doctor says, if you have another glass of alcohol, <laughs> do you have any more alcohol, you will die. And so ultimately they choose, you know, alcohol over life, over family, love, everything. And that's really hard to like go on, you know, with your life and, and think about. So that was probably the hardest part for me is just like the, the shock and, and with grief, it's just, you, you feel like you can't speak poorly about the person. You feel like you can only talk about the good times. And with someone like that, it's like, you just went out with the bang. Like you just went out with just, it was just kind of sad. Um, There was no like kind words exchanged at the end. There was no goodbye. It's just kind of, um, off-putting and it's, it's really hard. It's really, really shitty for lack of a better word. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I know this probably isn't easy to talk about as much time passes by or as much you do talk about as much as you do talk about it. It's probably not getting easier with time because that still is such a, you know, such a big thing that happened in your life. So thank you so much. And, you know, I loved what you said about 
the fact that you're not responsible. You know, there's nothing you could have done. And I think that's just such a good reminder for anyone out there who currently has an alcoholic in their life. I'm a parent, a family member, anyone really a friend. It's like, as much as you think that you have an impact on other people, the biggest impact someone can have is like on themselves. Like it's up to them. It's their choice. And we can't really control that at all. So it's just, it's awesome to see like the grace that you're, you're speaking to yourself with, you know, that, you know, I am not responsible. I'm, it's not my fault. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's interesting with alcoholism because it is a, it's a mental illness and it is a, chronic illness in most cases. And we don't treat it like other chronic illnesses because there is like a drug or, you know, an external substance involved, but it still is, you know, an illness. And so I think it's interesting to see the difference between grieving, grieving something like that, and then grieving maybe someone dying of cancer because there is that choice involved, but then it's so hard to kind of (laughs) kind of differentiate it you know it's like it's an illness but also it's their choice so that's just an interesting point you brought up yeah no it's it's I think that's kind of been the hardest for me to to fully wrap my head around and still I mean of course I I have read books I've listened to podcasts and I've gone to Al-Anon and I think it's just it's hard to really like think about it as a disease and it is a disease, but you're so angry in the moment. Like how could you choose you know, alcohol over your child, over your partner, over anyone, like over your family who's, who loves you so much and is helping you through this. And most of the time you're asking for help yet. You're just, it's just, it's really hard. And I, and again, like I said, I, I know it is that that's a fact, hundred percent of fact, but it's hard. It's really hard. To no, that around. sounds, yeah, so hard. It's, that sounds like such a, an interesting dichotomy to deal with in your mind. And I can't imagine, you know, what that is like to go through. So thank you again for sharing all of that. And, you know, as we move on to talk about the brand, the, the wonderful, you know, thing that came out of this, that this inspired, I think it's important to kind of talk about that while also kind of highlighting the good that might have come out of it, which is Philia. So before we talk about the brand and the product, I want to talk about your relationship with alcohol, especially growing up in this, you know, we we know you went to a Waldorf school and then we know you that was also kind of counteracted with growing up with an alcoholic parent. And you also grew up in Manhattan. So what was that all like? What was your relationship with alcohol growing up, especially growing up in Manhattan? I could imagine maybe you started drinking early or maybe you didn't because of your dad. I'd love to know what that was like. Growing up in Manhattan, I think that oh, kids grow up super quickly. And I think uh-huh. it's interesting because it's less about like drinking beer in a basement and playing beer pong. It's more so like you're going to these restaurants that serve underage kids and you're getting like a martini or like you're getting like some... <sighs> you know, like hard alcohol drink, like a Cosmo. And wow. that's like kind of now thinking about it, it's, it's interesting just how, how that lifestyle um, shapes and takes form in co- once kids, you know, get to college and how they treat it, you know, treat alcohol then. But yeah, I think I was always a pretty cautious drinker. I don't think I ever got, no, not, I know I've never gotten that drunk in high school especially 
um, where I was sick or where I had a night I didn't remember. Like I was always super cautious and scared of alcohol. I think at the beginning of my drinking career, <laughs> um, <laughs> given, you know, all of that, I, I went to a college where, you know, drink, drinking and binge culture was definitely a thing. Um, I was in Greek life in school, which I think also kind of opened my eyes to another way of drinking. Mm-hmm. Given all of that, I still, I don't think I ever had any crazy, um, times where I really like had a night that I regretted or did anything. And, and that's just because I think I was really cautious of drinking. And I, um, I think that that really sticks with you and you're, you can't really shake that. And, and that's my own personal experience. I don't know what anyone else has gone through, but yeah, I think that definitely made me wary of where drinking could lead to lead to and what that would also look like after graduation. And I think I worried about a lot of people around me, especially, um, that were drinking in that way. Um, I, I still drink today. I don't drink a lot at all. I don't really like drinking that much. I, I really only like having wine, um, from time to time, but I never feel like I need it or like I needed to take the edge off. It's like a taste thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I found a non-alcoholic wine that I liked the taste of. I would never drink wine again. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that's mostly like with meals. It's just, it really, since kind of starting Philia, I think, and going through COVID where everyone was, I feel like developed some interesting drinking habits. Mm-hmm. It felt like, um, I just realized it's just not something that I need in my life, especially hard alcohol. I do not need at all. Um, so it's, yeah. Well, that's awesome that you feel that way. Cause especially going to school, being in Greek life, I had a similar experience and it's like everyone around me is drinking so much and it's just so excessive and it's not about enjoying the alcohol like it is in Europe or other places in the world. It's about getting as drunk as possible and having a good night, quote unquote. But to a lot of people having a good night is like having a night you can't remember. So it didn't really ever make sense to me. And I found myself questioning a lot of that when COVID hit, because I was in college actually in COVID and it was my junior year in 2020. And I just sort of didn't see the point. And I was starting to be like, why are people still drinking so much? Like, we're not even going out anymore. It's not even like what is happening. And so I feel like a lot of it is drinking just to fit in and to just, you know, numb. And I feel, I don't know, did you, did you experience that in college as well? Definitely. I mean, it's even still, I'm I'm 26 and Mm. people go out and drink every Saturday as like an activity. I'm like, can we have something else to do? That's not just (laughs) thing. It's, it's interesting to, to kind of see how, how that's trended in that direction. And I think what's really great about this movement that we're all in, in this non-alc space is making it normal not to drink. Like it's completely normal. Like that should be totally lined up with drinking in a way like it's just as normal for you to have a drink as it is for me to not have a drink Mm -hmm. I don't get questioned for it I don't want to be thought of as lame or pregnant or (laughs) like you know having having some addiction issue or anything like I just don't want to drink because I don't want to drink so it's it's definitely um a learning experience to kind of maneuver around that, um, culture that is built around 
your 20s, especially in Manhattan, where mm-hmm. we're not really part of nature. LA, a lot of people go to the beach on the weekends or fuck, we were like hiking or, you know, exploring some new town. It's like in Manhattan or, or in New York City, it's like, okay, like we're going to go meet, eat and then drink all day. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. That does not sound like anything I'd want to do on a like, beautiful Saturday. But it's so interesting. It. Yeah. It's such a culture of consumption here. And it's like, there's so much to do yet. All people do is eat and drink and shop. It's something I noticed when I moved here yeah. last summer. And it, it it's really interesting. I actually stopped drinking in October. So it's been like nine months without alcohol for me, which yeah. is funny that I started doing that in New York, <laughs> one of the biggest drinking cities ever. Um, but it's been really interesting for me to navigate that socially. And as big as the sober curious movement and this non-alcoholic space has gotten, it's still, in my opinion, very small at the moment. And the norm is to drink and is to go out to the bars on a Saturday, day drink with your friends and get bottomless mimosas on a Sunday, things like that. So I think that the hardest part for me with that has been navigating it socially, like you were saying. And I just think that like, I I don't want to be asked why I'm not drinking. If like, I'm okay. I don't want to be asked all these questions. It's like, why can't it just be normal? And people get uncomfortable too. Have you noticed that? Yeah, no, I think people actually feel guilty about drink. Like if, if I show up to dinner with a girlfriend and they order a drink and I don't, it's like, Mm -hmm. wait, like I I don't want to drink alone. Like, well, why exactly. should I, what does that have to do? You know what I mean? Like, if you want it, you should do whatever you want. Just like, I'm going to do whatever I want and opt for something that doesn't have alcohol in it or, you know, decide to not have a second glass of wine. And I think that can be really troubling for somebody across the table who who's then feeling worse about their set, set up their drinking habits. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're just kind of mirroring back to them what they're doing and people get insecure. So I think it's really interesting, but it shouldn't be, you know, it should just be, you do you and I'm going to do me, but have you, have you ever had like less fun because you weren't drinking and people around you were drunk? Cause I've kind of had the experience of going out thinking it was going to be super fun. Like I have tons of fun when I go out and don't drink, but sometimes people are so intoxicated and so in that space that I'm like, the conversations like the, no one's talking about anything right now we're not doing anything yeah. productive what's the yeah. point I think it definitely you feel like you have a different lens on yeah the, the situation I think going out and being completely sober when everyone around you is wasted like like you said some things are only funny if you're wasted some things are only like only makes sense if you're like I, I don't I'm not like mm-hmm. on this like which actually could just mean that it makes no sense at all. Like I, I just am super clear-minded right now because I'm completely sober. So like, yeah. I'm not just laughing because of some random thing that just happened. Like, it's just, yeah, I think that that totally applies and happens all the time. Yeah. It's interesting, but I'm so happy with, you know, Philia and all the other brands out there and just this movement and the books and the podcasts and people who are starting to do this kind of just normalizing it. And maybe making other people who do drink so much take a look at their choices as well, reflect and see if that's something aligned with who they want to be. Because that's what I ended up doing. And I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) So it's, it's definitely an interesting conversation. I know you said 
you know, people's drinking habits changed in COVID and you actually started Felia in COVID. So could you talk about, you know, how you saw the active drinking alcohol starting to change and what it was like to bring a product out that kind of counteracted that during the pandemic? I think that at the time, I mean, it felt like there was no better time than the time that I did it. It was like, mm-hmm. this, this is it. Like the time is now. Um, totally. Because, yeah. I was, I was noticing all these patterns and behaviors changing. We were stuck at home. People were just honestly wanting something to look forward to and to do at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And I, I figured that, you know, we could still have an option out there that felt special that had that ritual that, but brought life and brought fun to that ritual that just didn't require you, you know, to drink alcohol and feel hungover and feel groggy. Cause we're still working from home, right. We're still like having to do the stuff that we have to do. It's just, we're not leaving the house. So I, like I said, moved home to New York from LA. I was living in the Berkshires. My mom has a house out there and basically was just like, I have to figure out something that tastes better than the options that are out there. I was ordering all of them. And so, you know, most of them I, I liked, it's not like they were, I had to spit any out, but I was like, I just don't want to drink any of these every night, but I really like the idea of having this option. It's really now inspiring to me. And it's really, um, it's exciting to, to see that these things are out here. So I pretty much ordered every single option out there and was able to pair that with all the, I mean, I was cooking every night, like everyone else was. And my mom and I were like noticing certain things that we liked, certain things we didn't. We were trying all these options. Okay. What do we like? What do we like about a glass of wine or what do we like about this, you know, special cordial that we got at the farmer's market that we're adding into, you know, sparkling water or any of these options I'm ordering online and was able to come up with like a bunch of flavors that I really liked and was able to pinpoint also what I absolutely did not want to add in. So given that found a formulator in Los Angeles, went only was able to actually zoom with them at first and they would ship me some rounds of um, product and would give them, you know, some notes. And then we would go through another variation, ended up doing that three times. And within each round is three. So there's actually nine. We ended up going through two of the last ones I was able to go to in person, which was really great to taste it in person. And, you know, was able to kind of sign off on that and start to work on all the other stuff and was able to actually launch April after starting it in July. So it was a really quick process. Wow. So quick. And you did it basically all alone, which is so inspiring to me and so amazing. And I think will expand a lot of people's minds because I know a lot of people probably think you have to raise a ton of money and get a team, have a co-founder and you're kind of breaking all these stereotypes and you just kind of did it and you said you were going to do it and you, you did and you executed, which is really, really inspiring to watch. So that's really amazing. Could you kind of tell us just what makes Felia stand out against all the other non-alcoholic beverages on the market? What's unique about Felia? So the great thing about Felia is that we were able to create something that tastes sophisticated, looks sophisticated, has a really beautiful like ruby red color, which I think is really hard to get with non-alcoholic. And 
we were able to create something that a doesn't taste like alcohol. Like it doesn't mimic the taste of alcohol. There are all these, you know, alternatives to tequila, vodka, gin, whiskey that are just non-alcoholic versions of those things. I decided not to do that because I know from the perspective of someone like my dad, who is like basically every day fighting to not drink, that would be extremely triggering. Like a non-alcoholic beer, really triggering. It tastes like a beer. You just, it just doesn't have alcohol in it. So wanted to create something that still had the like, you know, bitterness and flavor profile of something that tasted like adults, I would say, but didn't feel like you were actually drinking alcohol. So there's that. Um, and wanted something, I think in the vein of aperitivo, because I learned so much when I was living in um, Italy, when I was in college for about four, five months, um, just seeing the way that people savor things was just so incredible coming from where I'd come from. I actually went right after my dad died. So it was just like a harsh contrast of like really thinking about college and what I'd seen with my dad of just binging and, um, harsh ways of, of interacting with food and drink in America to the way that they would sit at a table and actually converse and digest and like talk about their day over this, you know, you know, beautiful drink. It was really great. And I think that's something that I, I got into drinking Campari, which is really awesome because I, I liked it because I felt like I wasn't drinking a lot of alcohol. I didn't want to feel like I was getting tipsy. I just liked the flavor. I liked that it was bitter. So, and a lot of people cannot handle Campari. I, I like Campari. I've, I've stopped drinking it since I started Philia because I'll just drink that instead. And Campari has a, a lot of sugar, even though I still think it's, it tastes amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I started to, to kind of realize that. So I wanted to bring that into what I was building. I also knew that I wanted to, you know, not have anything that would interact poorly with medications. Um, a lot of options that are out there have adaptogens and ingredients that, that require them to have, um, dietary supplement on their label. So with those, you know, options, you can, if you're someone who's on an antidepressant, drink that. And that's a huge demographic of people who are dealing with addiction. That's like, it's, it's a mental illness. It's like totally counterintuitive of what you would think would be a good option for someone like that. And, and though philia is for everyone, it's for people who drink. If you want to mix it with alcohol be my guest, I have no problem with that. You can do whatever you want. I personally like to drink it with sparkling water. You know, I like to make fun mocktails with it, which I hate the word mocktail, but I just didn't want to say cocktail. Yeah. So it's for everyone, but I created this on the forefront for people who are going through what my dad was going through and who want a fun option. Like this is for them and for everyone else after them. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just kind of a good way to break up your day, especially in this pandemic life where a lot of us are working from home, just having a nice beverage to sip on when you're done with the work day before you go into your evening routine. That's so you know, important, that ritual, that experience. And we've lost that. So I love that Philia is an option for everyone to be able to do that. And it sounds like, I mean, I can't wait to get my hands on it. I haven't tried it yet, but it sounds like it has that bitter, sophisticated taste. It doesn't taste like, you know, grape juice, which I actually tried a non-alcoholic wine the other day in San Francisco at a restaurant. And I was so excited that they had it on the menu and it was literally grape juice. Like I could not... I couldn't stand it. It was so sweet. So 
I think this is such a good idea to bring this to the forefront for that population, but also for everyone. And you're right. They all have so many of the, like the non-alcoholic beverages out there have herbs and they have, you know, mushrooms and all these things in them. And especially if you take supplements, you don't want excess. And then if you can't have supplements, like you were saying for that population, especially with mental health disorders and, you know, they're on meds, that's something really important to think about. So that sounds like an amazing, you know, set of reasons to try Philia. And I hope everyone does after, after listening to this. I want to talk a little bit about the business side of things. Um, you know, your story is so connected with Philia, obviously, and it was inspired by something so personal to you. When, you know, you have a brand that is so close and near and dear to your heart, how do you separate yourself from the product, from the brand and kind of make it its own entity? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was really something that I had to prepare myself for just mentally, like, okay, like I actually will have to start talking about this, um, in the, in the public eye, even though I'm, I'm no like celebrity or influencer or anything like no one probably even knows who I am, but are, are starting to recognize our product, which is really great. Um, but that was scary for me. I think I had to come to terms with that and has been the best thing for me, but, um, yeah, I think that's also been a huge reason why I decided to bootstrap is because it's such a personal story and I don't want anyone telling me to, you know, talk about it differently or, you know, do this instead of that when it comes to the the storytelling, because I think it's a little harsh to, to be speaking so honestly about it. I don't think that everyone's ready to do that. So, but that's not something I'm willing to compromise. So that's, I think the biggest, um, factor in, in separating myself from the brand, but also staying true to the story and true to the fact that this is my own personal story that I'm telling in selling this product and in marketing it. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the way you speak about it so openly and your story, you know, on these podcasts, on articles, I mean, you guys have been featured in many publications now, which is so exciting, but that really does, I think, set you apart from other founders and let your true authenticity shine through. So I think it's actually a really smart idea to be doing that. Has any part of like starting Philia helped you grow personally or spiritually at all? Yeah. I mean, kind of like I, what I just said, I mean, I was not speaking about this in any public way or even like realizing half the things I'm realizing now mm-hmm. um, in doing this. So I think it's really broadened my scope of like how, the way I was feeling about it and thinking about it and, and recognizing that, wow, I like went through a lot with this and I can kind of turn it into a really great thing and, and hopefully can reach a lot more people to make them feel less alone when in a time where I felt very alone and did not have anyone to talk to about this and, and therapy of of course is great, but I think it really helps actually hearing the stories of others who have been through it because then you actually know that there are other people out there that are dealing with what you're dealing with. Completely. It's so validating. Yeah. Yeah. Be that voice. That's really all I want to be. And that, that really goes beyond Philia. So I think even though I totally, you know, identify with the brand, I started it, I care about it. I think that what means most to me is connecting with people and talking to them about this. Yeah. I mean, it's such a pure mission behind the brand and it's so 
I think well executed and you're creating a community along with it, which is so important, which I mean, most brands aren't able to do successfully, especially at such an early stage in the brand. So I think that's awesome. And, you know, now Philia has blown up. Like I said, it's been featured in lots of different publications, Vogue, the New York Times, things like that. So I just want to know if your younger self were to look, you know, into the future and see you here running this company, you know, being in these publications, having so much success with Philia and the fact that you even just did that regardless of the success, what do you think she would say to you? I think she'd be excited. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd be surprised that I'm so comfortable talking about it and doing this much with it because I, I guess I kind of just expected to just kind of never really face this stuff again. Um, And by my younger self, I guess, I mean, like in the time that I was really like, cognitively like going through all of this um so yeah I think I'd be really proud and I am really proud I mean like I say this all the time if if this all had to end today like this has been enough this has been so incredible and I'm really happy that it kind of just got started because it's been a really like amazing and um powerful ride (laughs) yeah and so rewarding too with all the beautiful work you're doing helping other people on this journey Have you experienced any imposter syndrome at all when you're, you know, experiencing all this, doing all this, or did you kind of go into it knowing that eventually it would be successful? Like, you know, not really feeling that way, like an imposter. I know what you mean. I, I definitely feel like an imposter all the time. I mean, I certainly did not expect us to do as well as we've been doing. I, I, I obviously, you know, anticipated this to be somewhat successful or else I wouldn't have done it. I would have been too scared and wouldn't have trusted all of this, but I think I, I'm really proud that I made all the right moves at least to just get to where we are now. It feels like, and, but yeah, no, all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not as old and as experienced as most of the founders in our space. Um, I don't have as many years in of my career, you know, under my belt and don't have the connections. I don't know anyone famous, really. I don't know anyone <laughs> else in like all these CPG spaces or just brand spaces. And a lot of founders in this space just have those connections. And so, yeah, I think it, it feels like scary and isolating. And I'm like, how will I ever, you know, even be successful if, if I don't have these, you know, relationships, but it's still, it's still doable. Um, and you start to create your own relationships with people and it doesn't matter if they're famous or not, or if they're well-known, it's, it's really like just awesome getting to know people that I've been working with, whether it's a bartender at one of the restaurants we serve at, or it's a screen printer that did our, you know, sweatshirts or it's just like I, I I love talking to people and meeting people and so that's been really um great for me yeah that's awesome what do you think like the hardest part of the entrepreneurial journey has been so far I think the fact that it gets really lonely I mean at least for me who is mm-hmm. like I said a founder and I I'm so fortunate to work with one of my best friends who is amazing and I owe her like everything for the work she's put in and like she deserves just as much credit for everything as as I do um but yeah it's still it's lonely because at the end of the day like she can leave whenever she wants and has just nothing tied to her it's all Mm -hmm. good and I'm like my name is behind this I've put money into this I've 
I've been doing this. I, I mean, I'm working at every day pretty much on this. So it would, it would feel like a huge loss and that's really scary. So I would just say it's, it's lonely and scary, but it's also really rewarding and fun. Yeah. yeah it's like both ends of the spectrum in yeah. one. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, where can everyone find Philia? I know you said that you're, you, you people serve Philia at restaurants, which is really cool. I didn't know that. I thought it was just kind of, you order it online or buy it at a store. We obviously love our D2C sales. It's really great after COVID. I think a lot of people like to get things delivered right to their door. And I love, I do yes. the same. Um, so you can always find us online, but if you go to our website and you go to the top right corner, you'll see a little tab that says find us. You can just put in your zip and you'll see like every store, every restaurant, every coffee shop, any stockist of ours that carries us. So yeah. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to try. Do you have time for me to ask you the five rapid fire questions I ask all my guests? Of course. Amazing. Okay. The first one is what is your favorite fruit? Oh my God, this is so hard. <laughs> I know. I had peach today and I feel like that's a summer fruit, um, but I typically go for like blueberries. I'll go for blueberries. Love blueberries. What is your sun sign, your astrology sign? Pisces. Were you born in March? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, what is one book that changed your life and that you'd re- recommend to everyone? The defining decade. I, I buy it for all my friends for their birthdays or, you know, Christmas or anything. I've heard such good things about that book. I've never read it though. Maybe it's, this is my sign. You have to read it. You literally, <laughs> so good. What is the defining that? De- is it like your twenties? Is it about it's your twenties? About your twenties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. What's yeah. one habit or ritual you do every day that's a non-negotiable for you? Coffee. Every <laughs> Without fail. I'm from New York, so have to. (laughs) What are your thoughts on thriving is the last question. So what do you think the key to thriving is? Keeping good company and believing in yourself, but mostly keeping good company because if you're keeping good company, it's showing a lot about you and it's showing a lot about the other people that you're surrounding yourself with and community is everything completely I mean you're the five people you surround yourself with and I think it's so important to have just connection and we've lost that so much in COVID so that's a really good reminder for everyone yeah well thank you so much Lily for coming on and sharing your story being so open and vulnerable with my guests and kind of showing us another side to Philia I hope that everyone you know wants to go out and get it as badly as I do now after listening to the whole story I think it's so nice to connect with the person behind a brand so thank you so much for coming on and for your time and before you go could you just tell everyone where they can find you where they can find Philia on social media and everything like that Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This was so easy to talk to you. Really <laughs> yes. Awesome. Likewise. I've, I've had some that are just a little harder and, and this is <laughs> like catching up with a friend. So thank yes. you. And you can find me on Instagram. Um, I don't, I think I'm Lily.Geiger. I'm not famous. Like I'm weird. <laughs> I'm have all my like personal stuff on there. So just enjoy. I'm, I'm public. Um, <laughs> Or you can find me on the Philia Instagram. I'm I am behind the Instagram. So just oh, is that you? Yeah, me. It's me so and, good. and a few other people, but okay. most people. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I think it's so unique and not like any other brand I've seen. You know, it's a lot more 
I think it's, it's like my friend's social media. It, it feels very com- like, you know, comforting to look at. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Lily. I hope you all have a good rest of your day. I hope you have a good rest of your day and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.